Well, one thing's for certain, that is a very big train closing in. And now to watch what the reaction will be by Albertson. What a gutsy race he's done here on his birthday and has led the Boston Marathon for more than 20 miles until now. Hello listeners, this is Vikas again with another episode on Run With Me page. Do you remember this year's Boston Marathon? Do you remember who was leading the pack for the first 21 miles? Remember the, the athlete in the Brooks jersey? He was pounding the downhill from the get-go. And he kept doing that for the first 21 miles. And ended up finishing the Boston Marathon in 2 hours, 11 minutes and 44 seconds. Yes, I'm talking about CJ Albertson. He's fondly known as CJ. And he considers himself as the fastest downhill runner in the world. And I agree with him. Also, he holds the world record of 50K Indoor Track Challenge. Trust me, he is crazy fast. Not only that, if you look at his training, you will start to wonder how can someone sustain a performance like that. His taper is almost negligible. He trains very, very differently. But at the end, he comes right at the top. And I'm sure like me, you are going to be extremely curious to know more about his training, his recovery, his nutrition, among many other things. And so, if you are as excited as I am, please join me in welcoming CJ to the show. Clayton, welcome to the show. It's a great pleasure to have you on Run With Fit page. Yeah, thank you. It's, uh, yeah, I'm excited to be on and Looking forward to a good conversation. As soon as I see you on the video, it feels like I see this very, very familiar face. And when I tried to remember, I was like, oh, this is the guy who was leading the pack at the Boston Marathon for the, for the first 20, 22 miles, right? Uh, what was going on there? I want to set the context from there itself, and then we'll get into more details of uh, how you started and got to athletics journey. Yeah, I mean, Boston was a, um, I mean, it was a very fun run. I, uh, yeah, I didn't anticipate uh, leading for that long, um, but the the race went out and, um, you know, some of the other guys hung back early on and, and I was just out kind of running my own pace, taking advantage of the downhills, um, you know, just running to my strengths. And uh, yeah, then I had a big lead and I wasn't going to, wasn't going to slow down and wait for people. So I was just out running by myself. Um, you know, and had, yeah, had the lead at the Boston Marathon for um, almost 21 miles. And it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, wish I could have led for another five miles, but, uh, but <laughs> overall, it was, a, it was a pretty good race. And I was uh, happy, you know, with my, my 10th place finish ultimately. So, yeah. Awesome. Um, maybe, maybe sometime soon uh, that you could, you could hang on for 26.2 miles. Clayton, you are a 2.11.18 marathoner. And in India, that will make you the fastest Indian marathoner ever. Our, our Indian record is 2.11.58. And so you can imagine how curious people are to listen to you and to understand how you got to uh, where you got to. So how about we go all the way back and get started with your, with your childhood? 
how did you how did you grow up and uh, when was it that you started with uh, sports or athletics if you started with athletics directly yeah uh well my dad was a basketball coach so growing up um around like the age of four or so i i started playing basketball um and yeah and in in sports um I always went by CJ which is what I go by now that stands for Clayton Jordan but um but yeah so just quickly got into the sports you know just cuz that was my background that was my dad's background um pretty much did every sport so basketball baseball um soccer uh I don't know wrestling I mean just just kind of anything that you could do I did and then um uh, when I was 10 years old I joined my first cross country team at our um you know local elementary primary school and uh yeah i mean my first race out i won and i felt uh i i really enjoyed running and i really liked winning so you know the combination of the two was was really fun for me um and so i just kind of stuck with it so ever since 10 years old i've been i've been running during cross country doing um athletics um you know track and field and so um yeah i we had uh, a very good high school program where i'm where I grew up in and so our teams were always um competing at the highest level and and competing at like national competitions um and then I was I was able to run for the um uh, and at the NCAA level I went to Arizona State um and I had a good experience there I had some ups and downs and definitely some struggles you know my my first few years there but um ultimately had a good experience and then Yeah and then I I I didn't really um expect to be a marathoner or expect to you know run professionally um after college I was just going to go into a a normal profession and I did I'm a, I'm a teacher um and a coach at a at a local um two year college here um but yeah but once I started coaching then I decided to do the marathon uh just for fun and, you know I w- it wasn't like a professional thing or you know trying to be like the best in the world i i was just doing it just you know as a enjoyment just like most of us and but um but yeah i ran 217 in that first one and i won by about 30 minutes or so and so it just kind of came natural to me and i felt really really good um oh i mean the marathon itself was hard but the training and everything i felt really comfortable at the marathon distance um so then after that then i then i kind of got into it more seriously and was like i you know i want to see what i can do with this thing and so over the last few years um i've just been improving and and now here i am beautiful and which year was it uh, that you did your first marathon uh that was november of 2018 so not too long ago oh. about 3 years ago oh wow only <laughs> only only about 3 years ago wow and and half of that has been covid right yeah. so <laughs> yeah. nice and and before marathon so did you do uh middle distances and uh you were doing track i understood and then you directly moved to marathon or you were also doing half etc uh no yeah so in college i mainly did the 3000 meter steeplechase um and the 5000 meters and then when i graduated i yeah i didn't really do anything <laughs> after i graduated i didn't really do many races um Then when I was training for my first marathon, I did a half marathon race just kind of as like a a tune-up race or practice race. Um but that was that was really it. So I kind of went straight into marathons. Um but again, it was kind of just, you know, for started out as being just for just doing it kind of for fun. Um but yeah, um mostly kind of middle distance and then straight into the marathon after. Okay. Um 
So it's evident you you have genes of running faster and be able to run um, really, really fast. But but that's not it, right? It just takes um, you only to the start line of training season. And uh, it takes a lot, lot more even if uh, you are... Uh, you are best suited for a marathon or any other distances. Um, so, so I'm certain there are there is a lot of hard work in training, and uh, I have seen some of it through your posts. Also, looking at uh, some of your other commentaries and discussions that you've had. But how about we go through your some of your training principles, and also because you're a coach today. So, how did you train yourself for a, for a very first marathon? Was it uh, mileage that you were focusing uh, on was it really hard workouts that you were focusing on etc and why I'm also saying it um, uh, CJ is because you're about 28 and at that's around same age uh, there are a couple of other athletes here in India they are at 213 to 14 and they are looking to get to 1130 to be able to break the the India record and hopefully that happens in the next few months and they will be listening very carefully to your conversation. So I think it will be great to see how did you train? Yes, so my first marathon, um, I think I I built up to around like around 100, 100 miles a week, maybe 105. So yeah, that was my first one, but I, I really focused on, on hard long runs um, and that kind of came, you know, easy to me. So I would do, yeah, like 18, 20 miles at like, I like like 5:15 pace or so, and then 5:15 per mile pace. Um, I did a couple longer runs. I remember my first marathon. Um, I I actually ran a marathon in practice. I ran around 2:21, um, and that was around like a fairly hilly loop. And then a week or two later, I did a um, uh, a 50k run. It wasn't a race; it was just a training run. And I I ran around 5:45 for the first 25 miles, and then the last six miles, I, I ran at the Olympic trials qualifying pace, which was about 518 pace at the time. Um, so that those were like pretty hard long runs that I did and, and even longer than the marathon distance, even for my first marathon that I was doing. So I had ran the marathon distance several times before I actually raced the marathon. And then, um, and, and, you know, at a pretty good pace. Um, my, my workouts, like in the middle of the week, like I do some speed workouts, um, you know, like some 10k to half marathon you know pace work um, but those weren't really the focus I didn't do like a ton of it and I think other runners those their workouts like that may be a little bit better so if you know if they're doing mile repeats for example they may be running like 430 or 435 and I'm more like around 440 and that's kind of like my sweet spot and but I'm able to to hold the hold the um long run pace faster um and that translates to the marathon pretty well um yeah so my one of my better races was the olympic trials where that was a really really tough course and i ran 211 48 there and was seventh at the u.s championships or olympic trials and uh for that race i was running closer to like 120 miles a week still doing you know the really hard long runs and getting in i did a little bit more workouts in those um, more like 10k type workouts where I do some change of pace work um, just because it was so hilly I didn't necessarily have a lot of hills where I live but I wanted to be able to practice harder efforts and then kind of backing off and so I'd go like maybe 800 meters hard 400 meters 
slightly easier, like just slower than marathon pace. So I'd go like 800 meters at like 10K pace, then 400 meters just slower than marathon pace and alternate, you know, back and forth for like 10K or so. Um, and then, yeah, so that, that was kind of the gist of it, but I'd have one or two kind of at those sessions a week and then a, a hard long run at the end and a total mileage of around 120 for the week. Got it. And, and this is this slightly different than how most of the runners uh, train with, right? A lot more easy mileage. And then, like you said, the one mile repeats, uh, the 800 meter uh, repeats, etc. People focus a lot more on. And clearly you were doing something that was, that was slightly different than this. So this was something that you figured that was working for you. And that's how you, you continued or how was it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, for my first, you know, my first marathon buildup, yeah, I mean, I was able to run 221 for the marathon in practice, like my sixth or seventh weekend of training. And that just kind of like <laughs> came naturally. Um, Man. I mean, it was a hard run. Like I, I ran hard, but yeah. mo- most people can't do that or, or that wouldn't, they wouldn't even set out to do that. And I just kind of went and did it. So, so those type of runs came naturally. Then, you know, if I was to, to get on a track and do like a 5k type workout, trying to run you know, 415, 420 per mile pace for a bunch of repeats, that would be really difficult for me, but you don't necessarily, you don't necessarily have to be really good at that for the marathon. So, so I just kind of play to my strength and and what I handle well, or, you know, and and I recover pretty well from the hard or, you know, from the longer runs, Um, my body doesn't get beat up as much and I I don't typically get injured a lot. So my, my body can handle that. Whereas other people, they, you know, they can't necessarily handle the volume or those types of runs. And so they kind of have to, you know, focus on the intensity a little bit more maybe um, and, you know, and not do as much as the, the longer volume. Got it. Got it. And what were you doing with strength training? Did you also train there? I saw, um, I think, a post of yours where you took a challenge of thousand crunches, thousand push-ups, <laughs> and uh, and thousand squats. If I'm not wrong, and uh, and you did fairly fairly fast. So I'm I'm assuming you were pretty good at strength training too. Um, but did you incorporate did you incorporate that regularly in your uh, in your training? Yeah. So so that that challenge was after I graduated college, and uh, it was right right after I graduated college, and so I wasn't running anymore. I mean, I was, I was still running to stay in shape, but I wasn't competing. And so that had nothing to do with, uh, to do with running or, or any sort of purpose. I just made up a challenge and, and tried to do it for fun. But my background, you know, growing up in sports, growing up playing basketball, um, I did a lot of weightlifting. I, I did a lot of plyometrics and, and, and jump, you know, jumping and weight bearing things just comes natural in basketball. So I did a lot of those activities. Um, and I, I think that they gave me a good foundation of strength and, and coordination and um, just kind of like resistance to fatigue and, and you know, a, a good base so that I wouldn't get injured. And so now I don't do, you know, tons and tons of weightlifting um, because I, I do kind of have that base. So a lot of the, maybe the injury prevention type stuff that, that some runners may need to do because they lack the strength uh, or, or the, they have some muscle imbalances. Um, I feel like I don't, necessarily have to do as much of because I've, I've kind of built that foundation, you know, the past 20 years of just growing up and working different muscles and, and strengthening things. Um, but I still have to do some strength work. And, um, and so for the, for Boston, for example, 
you know, that, that race involves a lot of downhills um, and same with the Olympic trials because we had about 11,000 feet of elevation gain. And so also 11,000 feet of, of decline um, or 1100 feet, sorry. And, and so 11,000 would be <laughs> quite a lot, um, but that will be in an ultra possibly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so for that, I, I incorporated more strength training, um, definitely like some, uh, a lot of quad strengthening exercises, uh, and some eccentrics for the quad. So, so that lowering portion. So like on a leg extension, I'd really focus on getting pretty heavy weight and then lowering it just with one leg um, to really put a lot of strain and stress on the quadricep muscle, especially as it was lengthening, um, you know, and, and that, that really like builds your quads up for, for the pounding that you're going to have in a lot of downhills, like, like Boston, for example, um, where you have, where you're running fast downhill and your quads are, really having to absorb a lot of force, you know, for two hours or, or more. So, um, so yeah, I did, I did training like that. Got it. Um, another training question, and then possibly we would move to nutrition. You consider yourself, and I do believe that you are the best downhill runner in the world. And, uh, and we did see that at Boston, at a few other places, etc. as well. Um, uh, and you talked about uh, some of the things that you do to become uh, where you have gotten to. Uh, but additionally, what do you do specifically to be so good at downhill running? And why I also ask is, it's uh, when you see a downhill runner, uh, you possibly feel that, hey, it's fairly, fairly easy. But the next day or, or uh, right after you're covering a couple of miles downhill where there are um, steep gradients, the body gives up, your but your legs just can't move at all, right? So how did you train for it, and how did you become so good at it? Yeah, so some of those strength exercises that I that I talked about is is part of the training, um, and then you just kind of learn. I mean, it, it's a it's a it's more of a technique and a skill, just learning how to run downhill, and it's something that I've been practicing um, almost like specifically, you know, since my since I was about seventeen. Um, in our high school races, our cross country races, we'd have some, some good downhills on a lot of the horses. And I kind of figured out like, Hey, if I, you know, I'm not the best uphill runner, but if I can figure out how to run these downhills, well, um, I can make up a lot of ground or I can, I can really distance myself from people and, and take the lead. And so, um, I remember just on every run, just started to focusing on like how I was running downhill and able, being able to run relaxed and, and kind of smooth on the downhill, but also fast. Um, so that I could not only distance myself from people, but also kind of catch my breath and, and make it feel easy. And then, um, and it worked. I had a really great year. I ran really well at our state championships just by implementing my strategy of running the downhills well and, and being controlled on those. And then, um, so then, yeah, ever since then, I kind of had it in my mind that I was good at downhills. And then, so every time I hit a downhill, I was like, okay, this is where I can like shine and, uh, you know, and, and run them well. And then, so just kind of years and years of always um, kind of attacking downhills. And, and every time I run on downhill, like I'm, you know, I'm working on my form and technique and uh, just, you know, b being able to run them well. Um, so that's just kind of built up over the years. And so I still do specific training, I guess, um, where I'll, you know, I'll specifically have routes where I'm doing some repetitions that where I'm, I'm running downhill, like if I'm doing thousand meter repeats, maybe 
uh, a big portion of that downhill. And then the next, next trip I'll have to run back up, but, um, but you know, so running fast downhill helps. Sometimes I'll do some sprints downhills and those really toughen up your legs. Cause you, I mean, no matter how much you're trained, you still get sore. So I'll do some sprints downhill and, and that really can get me sore. And, and you got to build up to that. You, you may get injured if you just walk out the door and start sprinting downhill, but you, so you got to do, you know, just easy strides, um, you know, some accelerations downhill and then eventually build up into sprints. Um, and yeah, and then just including them in my, in my long runs, you know, when you're running a 440 mile uh, down, downhill, 20 miles into a long run that, you know, that really, um, that's a really good test of if you can handle the downhills well. So I would do stuff like that in training um, and, you know, to try to try to build up and you don't have to necessarily do tons and tons of it. Um, just kind of, you know, small pieces here and there, they build up over time and your body adapts pretty quickly to the downhill. So you can't do it every day. You wouldn't want to do it every day. Your body would just be beat up, but you know, just, a, you know, um, some few doses of downhills once or twice a week, you know, over time and, and your body, um, your body will adapt, you know, relatively quickly. Sure. So um, have you looked at uh, data of you running uh, on a flat course versus running downhill and seen whether the, uh, the cadence uh, gets faster or slower or do you think the stride length increases significantly, etc. I'm just trying to get to a couple of specifics that could help other runners. So, so I'm thinking from that perspective. Uh, I haven't specifically studied my cadence downhill it, it kind of depends on the gradient. I think at a, you know, a, a moderate gradient, you, you might just have a slight increase in stride length. So you're, you're going faster. Um, when it's a steeper gradient, I, I definitely increase my cadence because you, the, the quicker cadence you have, the less impact you're going to have per stride. So, um, you know, you got to kind of quicken it if it's, if it's steep or else, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be, have a lot of braking impact forces. And, and so that's going to make you sore. So, um, so yeah, I just, it, depends on the on the gradient every every downhill is a little bit different um some i feel like you can get into a really good rhythm and and your your cadence is the same you just hope you can really open up and, and be kind of strong and powerful and some you have to just intentionally be a lot quicker down like boston for example the first mile you can kind of see i was kind of waving my arms and my cadence was pretty quick because it was it was pretty steep steeper than i even expected just the first half mile after that it was pretty gradual downhill but that first half, I, that first 800 meters or so, I think, you know, my cadence was probably pretty high. I'd have to go back and look, but I'm, I, it was probably, you know, 200 or so. Got it. Um, and and when, when you're training downhill, um, have you seen or experienced what kind of uh, uh, gradient is generally conducive for people? If they are uh, picking up downhill running, they start to train is it in um, in single digit percentage that you think works better, or, or do you have any specific that you could suggest to to runners if they want to take up uh, downhill running and they get started? Yeah, I've never specifically measured the the gradients. I, I kind of just use what's around me, but definitely in the single in the single digits. Um, I mean, there's not really too many races where you're running over ten percent gradient downhill. That that's pretty that's pretty steep. Um, and I mean, unless you're doing an ultra and, and ultra, ultra training is different. The downhill and uphill training for, for an ultra race is, is going to be, um, a lot different and, and even different technique, but for road running, you're typically looking at gradients. I mean, between 
zero to, to maybe 7%. You're, you're, not, you're hardly ever going to get prolonged periods of over 7%. So, you know, around 4 to 5% is, is pretty good um, to, do, to do some strides on. You know, I would start just with very mild gradients, like 2 to 3%, and just do some strides. So it's just, you know, running not a full sprint, but maybe like 85% of your effort, like your max speed you know, at two to 3%, and then maybe you can kick it up to four or 5% if you have a little bit of a steeper hill. Um, and then if you're doing more prolonged efforts, like a thousand meter repeats, like if there's gradients of like 3% or so, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's good. It's good for a prolonged period of time. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, sometimes on my sprints, I've gotten up to some, there's one, one hill that I was going on was maybe it was 7% and, and I was running, I was running pretty fast down it. Um, but that's about as steep as I'll go. I, I won't go, you know, I'm not doing double digits. No. Sure. Moving to your training, leading up to your, whether it was Boston or the marathon project, I looked at, um, the, the kind of hard runs that you did, as you were also describing, um, were almost insane, to be honest. <laughs> that's the phase when people are tapering. That's the phase when people are thinking that, Hey, possibly I need to, I need to save a lot of energy to be able to peak on the on the race day i'm sure there's something definitely superhuman when it comes to you but i think it's uh, it's also to do with a uh, lot about your nutrition and recovery do you do something very very differently or do you do you do something that that you really really swear by that is like uh sleeping a lot or eating something that's extremely different than most of the people may be doing um i mean probably not no <laughs> i uh i mean i try to sleep as much as i can but i think any professional marathoner is going to be sleeping a lot. Um, so I, I can't get excessive amounts of sleep. I mean, I'll, I'll sleep, you know, I try to get at least eight hours a night, um, maybe sometimes eight and a half, but I rarely get more than nine. I just, I just can't sleep that long. I, I need, if I get under seven, I feel absolutely awful. So I have a very narrow range of, of how much I sleep and I pretty much sleep that exact amount every night. Um, so that consistency is important. Um, I think just overall, just, just being able to manage uh, stress and, and manage your energy levels and, and letting yourself be tired when you feel tired. Um, you know, so if I feel tired and kind of run down, then I just kind of let myself feel low energy, even though it's not necessarily that, that fun to kind of feel tired, but I, I don't want to like always pet myself up because um, if I'm tired, then my body's tired. So I just kind of let it, you know, be how it is. Um, you know, I try to only have caffeine when I'm doing a workout or, or doing a long run or a race. Um, if I'm, if I'm tired, I don't like to have caffeine because I don't want to wake myself up. If I'm, you know, if I'm, if my body just needs to be low energy, then I, I avoid caffeine. So I stay low energy and, and let my, you know, give my body the chance to recover. Nutrition. Um, I try to eat decently well. Uh, it kind of depends on where I'm at in the season when I'm, far away from a race. My, my nutrition's fairly lax. So I'm not eating junk food all the time, but I don't have a strict diet either. I'm just kind of eating, you know, kind of whatever. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, recovery wise, you know, I'm trying to eat, you know, after a workout, obviously I'm, I'm, eating, I'm refueling, um, but there's not anything specific. I think fish oil, you know, can help in, in getting good omega threes. Um, you know, and some turmeric in there, some anti-inflammatories. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, there's nothing like super secret that I'm, that I'm doing that. I, I, but I do, I do just sit on the couch and relax. And I think that's, 
that's the probably the most important thing you can do is just kind of lay down and do nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true, true. That's, I think, one of the most favorite exercises for all endurance athletes. Do nothing. <laughs> just lay down on the couch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> makes, uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, how about your race to nutrition? Uh, and of course, uh, like I said, if it's confidential, that's fine. But otherwise, uh, if you could share, how do you plan that during the race? And, uh, and maybe right from the start, how do you load your carbohydrates or... Um, What's the kind of uh, calorie intake do you like to achieve during the race, etc.? Yeah, so race day nutrition uh, will probably start like the week of um, or even maybe a little before. I, I start to try to load with nitrates. Um, so uh, just like like arugula and spinach. Um, and then I have uh, Science and Sport makes these nitrate loading shots. It's 500 milligrams of nitrate. So, so nitrates will convert into nitric oxide. Um, that's what dilate your blood vessels, basically help improve blood flow, you know, to help get um, oxygen to your muscles. And so um, I feel like that helps and there's some decent research on it. So I, you know, I'm taking a, you know, a good amount of nitrates before the week leading up to the race. Um, I have a, a supplement called Alt Red. Um, it's, it's betalins, which is a, an, a compound that's in beets, but it's works different than the nitrates. Um, but there's there's some research on that. It's not as robust of research, but um, but I, I I don't know. It's kind of also just a thing that I've gotten used to taking, so I, I feel like it helps. And so I usually take take that leading up the week or two leading up to a race, and then um, yeah, and then recently I, I took loaded with beta alanine about four grams a day, and then uh, lactigo uh, it's um, topical. Uh, carnosine. Um, so this helps kind of like buffer lactic acid. Even in a marathon, you're not necessarily building high lactate levels. Um, but anytime there's surges or anything, it, you know, it could help. So I do those things kind of leading up to the race. And then on actual race day, um, or actually kind of going back, then the week of the race, diet-wise, I'm not doing anything like super um, crazy. I, I'm just trying to keep... I, I typically we'll pick the same foods and just eat them over and over again. So we'll eat like sourdough bread, rice, eggs, um, just, just super simple foods. Um, so I'm getting good amount of carbohydrates, a little bit of protein and fat from the eggs, um, fish, uh, but, but it's, it's just all really simple and I'll just eat the same meal, you know, <laughs> the whole week. Um, but that's a, a lot, but it, then it, it, but it keeps my stomach like not having to digest a lot of stuff and, you know, digest weird stuff and it just, just keeps it simple. And then, uh, the day before the race, I try to cut out most fiber fiber. So if I'm eating salads, like the week of the race, the day before the race, I, I'll maybe just have like a couple bites of lettuce just to get some like plant enzymes in me for digestion, but I'm not, not really eating any sort of fiber, just very, very simple, you know, white rice, white bread, maybe, maybe a little bit of fish or little eggs or something. But, um, and then I typically don't eat a ton the day before the race either because I'm typically I only run a couple miles. I'm just kind of laying around. I'm not burning a bunch of calories. So my glycogen levels should be pretty high. Then day of the race, um, typically don't really eat much. Maybe I'll have a cliff bar. Um, sometimes I'll just sip on a gel. Uh, I'll have a uh, I'll have about 30 grams of, of ketone esters. Um, mm -hmm. So that just kind of helps with fat metabolism. Um, and and kind of keeps your 
you know, blood sugar stabilized, not being too high, especially if I'm having gels. So um, the ketone esters kind of help balance me out. I'll take caffeine um, around 200 to 300 milligrams before I start. And then, you know, maybe another 100 milligrams or so within the race. Um, and then the big thing is I'm just taking gels. So I, I use a mixture of the Science and Sport and Martin gels. Um, so they have between 22 to 25 grams of carbohydrates per gel. And I'll take uh, usually about six of those during the race, roughly every 5K to four miles so that I'm, I'm ingesting, you know, around 150 grams of carbohydrates uh, during the competition. And then water, uh, it just kind of depends on how hot it is. If it's generally cool conditions, you know, then I'm just kind of sipping on water throughout the race. Um, I haven't had a marathon where it's really hot yet. Um, so obviously I'd have to drink a lot more for that. But um, yeah, water, you know, you, you can be a little dehydrated and, and actually race well. So I, I just kind of drink whatever feels good in the, in the moment. But um, I more just dump water on my head because if you can have water on your head and on your body, then you're going to, um, that water is going to, you know, that moisture is going to evaporate and cool you down. So you don't necessarily need to sweat as much. So you can kind of conserve some water just by dumping water on yourself. And then you don't have to worry about absorbing the water and, and going through that whole process. So pretty, uh, pretty comprehensive. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for that. It's really, really helpful for uh, people to take these specific notes um, as to how much of carbohydrate they should be consuming. But not only that, but leading up to the race, what are a number of other small, small things they can keep in keep in mind and of course whatever works for them and what's available for them uh, should be kept in mind too but this is uh, this is really really helpful look when i when i see you and uh, i've seen uh, a number of your races uh, through the recordings etc you you come across as someone who's very very competitive and very positive both and it's it's not easy because uh, i'm also going to imagine that when you go through certain obstacles and uh, you see something coming your way and you don't like it, whether it's failure or anything else, I'm sure it's not very easy to, uh, to overcome those. So how do, you, how do you manage some of those not very friendly situations that are or not very positive situations that you didn't get the podium or you didn't uh, get to where you wanted to get to? Be why I ask this is because um, I've met so many other elites here in India and, and this is one of the things that up until they're, they're doing great, they're good. But the moment something bad happens, they are possibly not able to overcome that and get back to where they were earlier. So how do you deal with some of this? Yeah, I think, well, I mean, I think for any athlete, that's a, that's a, uh, a difficult thing and, and something that I've struggled with in the past and, and maybe we'll struggle with again, you know, I don't know. But I think the, the biggest thing is to just have balance in your life. And so, you know, running, or, or, you know, athletics in general, you know, depending on the, le the level that you do it at, you know, could be really important. And um, but no matter how important it is, or even if it's your primary job or, you know, you, you, you have the pressure or you're the best in your country, um, it, it still has to just be a part of your life. Um, and it, it can't really be like everything of, of who you are, because, um, yeah, because, you know, not every things don't go great all the time. And if you have kind of all your eggs in one basket or if like running is kind of, you know, defines who you are, then, um, then yeah, it can be really disappointing and, and kind of, uh, you know, just 
it's just difficult to deal with when you do have that failure. So for me, I just try to put like, obviously running is very important to me. Um, I really love the sport. I'm invested in it. Um, I want to do well. It, it's fun to do well. And it, it really is not fun <laughs> to, to do poorly. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's just, it's just something that I do. It's not really necessarily who I am. And so um, when you have other things, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm married and, and I have a wife and I can coach and I can teach and I have these other things in my life, you know, it, it, it kind of takes the pressure off of, of just running. Uh, and then for me specifically, um, you know, just, just the way I look at life is just a little bit different. Um, you know, my, my belief in God and, and just how I function under him and, and just, you know, my purpose on life, it's, it's not just to be a runner. Um, and so I think that that helps me as well, because if I do poorly, it's like, yeah, that was very disappointing. I'm, I hate losing. Like, it's just, I just, I, you know, it, it doesn't feel good at all, but yet I still have, like, I still have so much else in life that I can do. And, um, you know, and, and, um, my purpose in life that I believe comes from God, like it, that, that isn't dependent on just how I do as a runner. So it just makes it having that perspective makes it just a little bit easier to, to handle failures because it still hurts. It still sucks. It still is disappointing, but, but it's not life shattering. So it's, it's a lot easier yeah. to come back from. Yeah. It's only human to be that way. Um, and I so agree with you having, uh, having that purpose, which is uh, larger than running or anything else for that matter. Like it could only be a part of you and not the heart of you, uh, to be honest. And a very similar conversation I remember having with Ryan and also with Sarah, they, they speak almost in the similar way that it's, it's not just, uh, just running while they, they love it specifically Ryan. Um, but also his belief in God and what God has destined, uh, for us to do is just so good to see that perspective. So, so it's very good to hear from you as well. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay. Um, last question on, on coaching. You have almost been self-trained, self-coached. Um, and here we've seen that elites um, need to have a, have a coach that understands them uh, really, really well and is able to uh, take care of number of other variables other than training for an athlete. What, in your opinion, is the role of a coach specifically if you want to be performing at the top level? Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely, definitely understanding the athlete and and understanding what they need and how they function best. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely important. I think the you know the workouts themselves they're important, but you know, not not one set of workouts is going to work the best for everybody. Um, and then, you know, the psychological component is, is so important too. So, you know, the, the athlete has to really believe in what they're doing. They have to think what they're, you know, what they're doing is best for them. And so, yeah, it, it just takes a lot to, to know, you know, what the athlete needs, what they want um, and how they function best. And then even, even things you tell them, like the feedback that you give, you know, you can say the exact same thing to two different athletes with the same tone. I mean, you can say it the same way the same words, but they'll hear it two different ways. You have to know how each specific athlete is hearing and interpreting what you're saying, um, you know, and then, you know, knowing the, the rest of their life too, and just kind of where they're at and, and what things may be affecting them psychologically that, 
you know, may not even have anything to do with running, but, but yet what's happening in other areas of their life is going to affect their approach when they come to a workout or a race, like all that plays into effect. So it's really hard, I think, because people are complex and people also change too. So you have to be able to kind of read people on the fly. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes I feel like it's kind of a guessing game. I mean, as far as, you know, as a coach myself too, it's like, I don't necessarily know what to say or know the best way to approach a situation, you know, or a specific athlete. Um, you're just kind of doing the best you can. And sometimes you're just kind of guessing. (laughs) So, um, and, and, you know, and sometimes the athletes themselves, don't know what they need or, or even want either um so it's uh yeah i mean it, it, we just kind of you, you kind of over time try to gather as much data as you can i guess and uh you know just kind of play the odds <laughs> with with the information that you have no uh, that makes sense and even though the coaches at that point the coach might not know what to say or uh, what to suggest but how i have seen uh, as well that they they generally have a uh, like a doctor actually they they generally have a a lot broader view of their own uh, athletes they and un- they start to understand them and the psychology the mindset of an athlete which if we go and and try to do a self analysis of ourselves we may be biased in certain ways because we think of us in a particular way but what i understand that coaches also bring the perspective of being non-biased or being able to understand what will work for you versus what will work for me or for anyone else. Uh, Keeping in mind, like you said, that is that two different athletes receive the same information and perceive the same information differently. So so it's extremely important. Thank you so much. This is uh, is fantastic. Yeah, Yeah, and I'll just add on that. As a a coach, it's important to, to, to have that unbiased information, but it's easy to it's easy to have it be biased towards your, your particular preferences towards training. So a lot of times as a coach, we're like, well, I like to do it this way. And so you, you kind of, you, you, your perspective then gets biased of like, Oh, well, they're not doing this. What like you, you kind of are biased. Like, Oh, my athlete needs this when it's like, well, maybe they actually don't like it. It's just, you like this style of training. So you're kind of thinking they need it. Um, and not that all coaches do that. And we try not to, but, we are human and we're, we're just like our athletes because we have our own biases of, of what we feel like is best. And, uh, and so we always have to be thinking like, okay, is this actually best for this particular athlete or do I just want it to be best because it's what I've always done. And so it's easier to just continue doing what I've always done, you know, versus looking at something else that may be better for them. So, yeah, no, makes, uh, makes absolute sense. CJ, this has been such a great conversation. I'm sure our listeners are going to uh, benefit immensely. Before we say goodbye, is there anything additional you would want to say to our listeners? No, not not particularly. But I haven't I haven't been to India yet, so I hope to I hope to be soon. And um, yeah, I don't know I don't know when, but it'd be fun to go with my with my family and. Uh, yeah, we'd be uh, we'd be glad to to show you India. Uh, whenever you decide to, we will stay in touch, and it will be an absolute pleasure to to have you or be of any help while you you plan it. It's a beautiful country, and you would you would love being here for sure. Yeah, sounds great. Uh, thank you so much. It was great speaking with you. Yeah, thanks. That is all for today, and hopefully you enjoyed the conversation. If you did. 
please feel free to leave a feedback on App Store or anywhere else you're listening this podcast on. I would love to hear from you because that only helps us improve the quality of future podcasts. Enjoy your day and I look forward to speaking with you in exactly one week from now.